0: Yesterday I was uh, in a restaurant, and I had to go use the facilities. And I walk in there, and uh, there's someone obviously in the stall, and there's someone small in the stall. He's just a singing, having a big old time, and you know I'm kind of getting tickled. And so, do what? I was little, little, much more hair. Um. So uh, I'm over there washing my hands, go back and eat, and, and he comes out and he looks at me like, oops. And I said, hey, bud, how's it going? Good. Do you know Santa? So, well, I've heard of him. I wrote him a letter. Is Santa coming on 25? And I said, that's what I've heard. He's coming on 25. He said, well, I wrote him a letter and asked for a puppy, and he brought him two weeks early. I said, good for you. And his parents were sitting right outside the bathroom when I come out and they're just like, oh no, what did he say? I said, it's all good. It's all good. You know how kids get so excited about Christmas? Do your kids ever try to figure out what's under the tree, what's in the presents? There was one little boy that um, was so sure he knew what he was getting for Christmas. He looked at all his presents. He figured it out. One of them was this big round thing, and he just knew it was a basketball. And he was so excited because he wanted a basketball. Christmas morning, he rips off all of the paper, and it's a globe. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Six, seven-year-old boy, the only possible benefit is educational Of a gift you get, how do you think you felt? Disappointed, at the very least, right? Now, I don't know, have you ever gotten a a gift that kind of left you scratching your head like the person who gave you the gift does not even know you at all, right? Anybody gotten gifts, you've been disappointed? Well, some of us are actually disappointed right now in our stage of life. Some of us never dreamed we would be right where we are, Now, two, three, five years ago. And we look at our lives and we're just terribly disappointed because it's not the way we wanted things to turn out. If you've ever felt that way or if you're that way right now, then I got good news for you. I want you to listen today because I got a message for you today that I want you to hear. Um, Our theme verse for this whole series is Isaiah 9, 6, which says, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor is what we looked at last week. We said the doctor is in. The name was Wonderful means too great for words. The too great for words Counselor is the one who was born in that manger, who who became the Savior of the world. This week we're looking at, at Mighty God. Next week we'll look at Everlasting Father. And then on Christmas Eve we'll look at Prince of Peace. Now, the interesting thing to me is these verses by Isaiah, he was a prophet, these were written 700 years before Jesus Christ was ever born. And when Isaiah was was getting this vision from God, he says, I see one day there is going to be a Savior born to the world, and one of his names is going to be Mighty God. That's what we're looking at today. Now, about 60 to 70 years after Isaiah, so we're still 600 and some odd years before Jesus Christ was born. There was a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because Jeremiah was disappointed with his lifestyle. Let me, let me read you a verse, and then we'll talk about why Jeremiah was disappointed. Chapter 32, verse 17. Oh Lord God, you made the skies and the earth with your very great power. There is nothing too hard for you to do. Now, i got to set this up because Jeremiah was called by God to preach. Jeremiah didn't really want to do it, but God called him and he said, okay. So he goes and he preaches the message and the king. Now, by this point, Israel was, was broken up into two nations. There's the northern nation, which was called Israel. There was the southern nation, which was called Judah. Israel was made up of 10 of the 12 tribes. Judah was made up of two of the tribes. So he's in the southern tribe, which still has Jerusalem as its capital. It's what we would think of modern-day Israel. And the king did not like what he had to say because he said, God is going to rip the kingdom from your hands. And so that's not really the message that any preacher wants to preach to a king. The king doesn't like the message. He throws him in jail. He's sitting in jail. People are making fun of him. He's been thrown into a cistern, into a well before, but now he's sitting in jail simply because he obeyed God, simply because he preached what God told him to preach, and the king did not like it. Now, what happens is while he's sitting in jail... God speaks to him because God would speak to him in visions and dreams and, and uh, impressions that they would get. So God speaks to him and he says something really interesting. He brings about this circumstances, this set of circumstances that causes Jeremiah to completely forget about all of his woes sitting in jail and to, uh, to sing out this great prayer to God. And, and so what God says is, he goes, okay, your cousin Hanamel, say that, Hanamel. Okay, just so you'll... Remember, Hanamel, God says, your cousin Hanamel is going to come see you in jail. And your cousin Hanamel is going to say this, buy my field, because back then you had to do it in the gate, you had to do it with witnesses, and and here's what Hanamel is going to say, buy my field because you are the closest relative, and by law you have the right to buy it before it is offered to anyone else. No sooner had God told Jeremiah this message than guess who comes waltzing by the jail? You just said his name, Hanamel, Hanamel, close enough, Hanamel. And, and so if I'm Jeremiah sitting in jail and God's just said, hey, your cousin Hanamel is going to come back. Well, first of all, I'm thinking, wow, I didn't even know I had a cousin named Hanamel, but he's coming by and then he shows up immediately. I'm going, do, 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 the twilight zone. And, and I'm so wanting to hear what he's going to say. I'm not even going to say, it. I'm just going to be, come on, tell me, tell me. And you know, guess what Hanamel says to him? Buy my field because you are, word for word, what God had told him he was going to say. Buy my field because you are the closest relative, and by law, you have the right to buy it before it is offered to anyone else. Once again, the theme music. Jeremiah is in jail for preaching God's word. God tells him something, and he goes, Whoa, you knew. God, you knew. And, and then I think he starts looking up in the heavens and going, Holy cow, I serve an incredible God. And so that's where verse 17, put that verse back up there, would you? Mike, he says, oh, Lord, God, you made the skies and the earth with your very great what power. There is nothing too hard for you. Now, he's he's saying, "Okay, God, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm in jail, but, but your plan for the world is bigger than my little miserly life. You've got this whole big plan going on. I get it. You are great. You are mighty. You are awesome, God. And I think, I think God goes, yes. You begin to understand now, Jeremiah, it's not about you. It's about God. You see, God wants us, and this happens every time someone is born. Every time a new generation comes along, God has to reteach us. And there's some omnis. There's some thing that God, things that God wants you to learn. Omnis that he wants you to learn. Omni means all. And the first thing that Jeremiah learned is what he wants us to learn is God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. Now, how many of you have a family member who thinks they know everything? Some of you aren't raising your hands because you're like, this is not even worth it. It's not worth the fight that we'll have on the way home. <laughs> we, we often think that we know what's going on. We think we know everything. When Janie was pregnant with Caleb, we went on a mission trip. She was just a couple of months pregnant. And uh, we had just told the youth group, we have about 25 or 30 people that went to Colorado. And, and we were staying in tents at this KOA campground, and, and that was a blessing. And we were doing vacation Bible schools and backyard Bible clubs all over Grand Junction, Colorado. Well, one day we went rafting, you know, one afternoon, and then another afternoon we went to what's called the National Monument just outside of Grand Junction, Colorado. Well, you drive up, because Grand Junction is flat. Grand Junction is not what you think of when you think of Colorado. It's not the Rocky Mountains. You're not there. You're in kind of this hell hole looking thing that that you would walk, you drive out there and you go, wow, this could be what hell is like, you know, because it's just not Colorado, well, all of a sudden, you take this road and you go up. You start driving up kind of in the hills, and then there's this canyon that just drops out of nowhere. That's the National Monument. So we drive up this hill, and, and we get on the top, and the missionary was taking us around, showing us this stuff. And, you know, it's about 90 degrees that day, and, and it's smoking hot, and the kids are just kind of running around. Well, one of the things I'm saying is, like, don't get near the cliff because it drops off about 150 feet. And, and Janie's talking. She's not paying much attention. She's not really feeling well, so she's just kind of walking along, lagging behind the group. And the missionary says, hey, Doug, check this out. Right along the edge of the canyon, there's this little pathway that's about two to three feet wide that goes out, juts out into the canyon. And then at the end of that, there's this little step, I mean, like a foot where you have to step across and and you're looking down like 150 feet. And then you get on this little platform out in the middle of nowhere. Well, the kids were like, can we go? And I'm like, absolutely not. No. And the missionary goes, hey, Doug, you want to go? And I said, yes. So we start walking out there and and I'm not really a big, you know, I'm not really afraid of heights, but you step out there and and all of a sudden, you know, your foot isn't as steady as it was before. And so I'm going, holy cow. But, you know, the teenagers are watching. So I walk out there and I get over there and I step across the thing and I'm standing there and Janie's not even paying attention. She's talking. She doesn't know I'm out there. She hears somebody in the group go, wow, someone walked out on the cliff. And Janie's thinking, it's my husband. And uh, But I'm thinking, Janie, look at me. I'm thinking, she's thinking, my husband, what a stud. He's got courage. Look at him. I'm so proud of him. She turns around and sees me. Her knees buckle and she almost vomits right there. And I'm thinking, that is not the reaction I expected. About that time the wind blows... And I'm, I'm serious. This was about 20 to 30 miles an hour and you're out on this little platform and, and the, the, the missionary goes, squat down! And so I did. You know, I am flat. I am prostrate before our God. Because you start wobbling in the wind and he, he had already told us that people have fallen off. We, he told us that drunk kids have gone up there and you know not knowing where the edge of the cliff was, dropped, driven off and died. And so when I get back to Janie... You know, I'm really shaky coming back because the wind almost blew me over. I get back to Janie. I said, hey, baby, what were you thinking? And she said, first of all, I knew knew it was you out there. And I was thinking, I'm going to have to raise this child alone because my husband is such an idiot. He's going to fall off a cliff. And I was like, baby, that is not what I thought you were thinking. You ever done that? You ever assumed you knew what someone else was thinking? And boy, were you wrong. God's never done that. God has never been wrong. He is all knowing. The Bible tells us in in Psalms that before we even speak a word, He knows it. He knows our thoughts. Omniscient means He knows it all and He's never missed a thing. He knows it's coming. Second, Omni that God wants you to know is God is omnipresent. You know, of all the omnis, this is the one that I kind of have the hardest time getting my mind around. Because here's the deal. God is right here. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there in their midst. God says that. So God is here. God's in every church in this town that's worshiping the true God right now. How's that? I don't know. He's a big God. He's he's all over the world. He hears every prayer that's offered, every song that's sung. He hears it all at the same time, and he's taking in this worship. He is a large God. Omnipresent means He's everywhere. But here's the really crazy thing. God is right here in in 2009 coming up to Christmas, but He's also at 2010 Christmas right now. So He's not surprised at who's going to be here next year. He knows who's here today, but He's already at next year. He's already at 2011. God is outside of time. God created time so that you and I could function within it. But God is completely outside of time. He's omnipresent everywhere all at once. Moms, have you ever said to your kids, I can't be everywhere at one time. I can only do one thing at a time. Now, moms, actually, you can do two or three. Men, we can do one thing at a time. That's right. Our God is everywhere all at the same time, and He's not taken by surprise that stuff happens. We forget that, but God is never going, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Never. Never. Because he's everywhere all at once. There's a third omni God wants you to know and learn in this life. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, the mighty God. That's the point that Jeremiah emphasized from his jail cell. Not only does God know everything, but he has the power to do anything he wants to do. Nothing is too hard for God. And see, here's the thing. A lot of times people, I hear people say, Oh, I just want God to tell me what he wants me to do. Well, pay attention because I'm about to tell you. God wants you to do something that is God-sized. Because think this through. If you do something that you can accomplish in your power, who gets the credit? You do. But if you're involved in something that is so magnificent that unless the God of the universe intervenes, you will fall flat on your face and fail... Unless He comes and and brings about power. When that happens, who gets the glory? God does. And that's why so many churches are not making an impact in this world. God is inviting you to make a difference in our world. God wants to make a difference in you, but God never makes a difference in you just for you. That's selfishness and that is not in Scripture. God always blesses you so that you can bless someone else. God always comforts you so that you can comfort someone else. God wants us to reach the world. Oh, but we're, we're in Palestine, but we're in East Texas, but we're a small church, but, 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 but. Here's the deal. When you think that you can't accomplish something that God calls you to do, let's just cut through all of it. You really don't think God can do it. When God invites you to be involved in His work, what you do next reveals what you really believe about God. Actions do speak louder than words. We just don't have enough faith to do God-sized things. So when God invites us, what we do next determines whether we go on with God and, and, and are involved with God in something bigger than us or we continue to do things our way and we completely miss God's purpose for our lives. What you really believe about God will determine what you do. In the Old Testament, I'm reading in, in the book of 1 uh, Kings. And I like to read my Bible and I have my little commentary and I'm reading about all the kings. Well, I told you that, that Israel, after King David, after King uh, Solomon, the kingdom is split in two. So there's, there, by the time you get finished with all of the kings, there's 20 kings of the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes in the north. Not one of them was good, Zero. In the southern kingdom, Judah, which had Jerusalem, which is what we think of as as modern day Israel, there were 19 kings and only eight of them were good. And and of those eight that God called them good, only four of them led religious uh, revival in their kingdom because they started idol worshiping. They started temple prostitutes. They had had male uh, prostitutes. Uh, practiced sodomy as part of their religion. It was was deplorable before God. Four of the kings said, we will not do this. We'll destroy idol worship. We will do things that please God. One of those kings was named Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite names in the Bible, King Jehoshaphat. Well, Jehoshaphat gets rid of all of the idol worship. He says, no, we're going to go back to the true God because that's our heritage. That's what all of the the successful kings before me did. We're going back to our father David and we're going to do things the way he did. So he does all this stuff and then all of this vast army. Remember, this is down to really it's just it's two tribes, but it's Judah was the main tribe and Benjamin was so small that they kind of uh, enveloped their territory. And so it's really one tribe is going to go against this vast army so much that it's like the grains of sand on the seashore. This vast army comes and they're going to fight Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat, he says, oh, no, no. What do you think he does? He goes to God. He calls everybody to pray and to fast. Fasting means you give up food. You're so serious about praying to God. You give up physical things because you're going to try to figure out the spiritual stuff that's going on. The whole nation or the the southern tribe of Judah is praying and fasting. Here's what Jehoshaphat says. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along in 2 Chronicles 20 because we're going to look at several verses here. Jehoshaphat, he prayed... O Lord God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. So here's what he says. He says, God, I've done everything you've told me to do. And now you got a problem. He's not relying on his own power. And I'll show you that in just a second. He says, God, you got a problem because the enemies of you, God, are surrounding me. So, my problem is your problem because I'm doing what you're telling me to do, God. I need your power. Well, the God sized task was God wanted them to defeat this vast army. So they're afraid what do you do? You go to God if you're smart. Verse 12 in 2 Chronicles 20. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. The situation was impossible. And that's exactly where God wanted them. He didn't want them to go out because every time one of the the kings of Israel fought a battle in his own power and won, he patted himself on the back. Every time the, the odds were overwhelming so that they knew they would lose, they go to God. And so God gets the glory. He's watching to see if you'll obey Him even if it doesn't make sense. And then when you do, He accomplishes something that is so incredible that everyone else hears about God. Check this out. Verses 15 and 17. He, this is God speaking now. He says, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Did you know there are 365 do not be afraids in the Bible? One for every day of the year. God knew that we were a people whose hearts melted with fear when circumstances seemed too big. Circumstances seemed too big and God says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, the God-sized task is take your little measly army and go defeat this vast army that's out in the field. That when you look at them, it looks like the mountains and the valleys are flowing with people. Go fight them. That's the God-sized task. And so if you're Jehoshaphat, what are you going to do? Okay. So what they do is, this is great. If we ever go to battle, I'm using this plan. He gets the choir, the band, sticks them in front of the army. Wes and Nate and Keith and Zach, Drew, man, y'all are so out front. I'll be cheering you on, clapping. He sends the choir out front because they're going to worship. Jehoshaphat realizes this isn't even the physical battle that's necessary. The spiritual battle is what they're really fighting. So he sends the choir out in front of them. They walk out to the field singing glory to God. They come over the hill and they see the field. And do you know what they saw? Dead people as far as the eye could see. Dead people everywhere. They're singing. I don't think they're singing, did it? But I've been around some people that... Not our choir, not our band. And this is what the Bible tells us. There were so many... Because back then when you defeated an army, you would go and you would take all of their stuff. There were so many people out there, it took them three days to go out, pick up all of the treasure and carry it back. So when this happened, how do you think the nations around Judah felt? The Bible doesn't leave it to us to guess. It tells us. Verse 29, when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. When God does something God-sized, He gets the credit, and people go, those folks at New Life, they're not big enough to do that. There's no way. There must be a God. Many times that's what I pray, as I say, God, I don't want people to hear about this. Because a lot of people, they'll say, oh, that's Doug's church. No, you, you stand up and say, this is God's church. Because God can take Doug out. And He might. Did you hear about the pastor that was preaching one time? And he said, God can take me out. And he did right there. (laughs) This is God's church. The reason our world is not hearing about a great God is because they're seeing a bunch of Christians not do anything God-sized. And so they think we're irrelevant. God has not lost any of His power. His people have lost their faith. His people will not stand up. God wants this from every church, and He wants to change our attitudes in new life. 700 years in the future, before Jesus was born, one of the names He was given was Mighty God. But but have you ever wondered why did Jesus come as a baby? Now, in the Old Testament, when when, uh, they come out of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai and they get the Ten Commandments, this is in the book of Exodus, Some of the people raise up against Moses and they're saying, Moses, you're not the only one that can hear from God. We can hear from God. Well, God shows up. It says that the cloud comes down on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, so much so that it enveloped the mountain. Thunder, lightning, and the ground shakes. And everybody not named Moses went, and the Bible says they go to Moses and they say, we messed up. You talk to God. If God talks to us, he'll kill us. You go see God. Every time an angelic messenger or, or, or the angel of God showed up, you know what people did? They fell on their faces like I did on that Colorado cliff. And sometimes it says they shook and became like dead men. They were frozen with fear because there is something so mighty and so powerful about angelic beings, they can't even compare to God. So if God shows up with that, what are we going to do? We're going to be afraid. So Jesus comes as a baby. Because nobody's afraid of a baby. Jesus didn't come to scare you. He came to save you. And so he chose to enter this world exactly the same way you and I do, to provide the pathway for us to get to God. He came physically to defeat death, the physical um, enemy we have. But more importantly, He defeated spiritual death, which is eternity in hell, and He provided the way for us to get to heaven. That is a mighty God. And I want to tell you three things about this mighty God, this baby in the manger, that if you are a follower of Christ, this power is available to you. Number one, Jesus' power is at work in you. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you this desire and the power to do what pleases Him. The Bible says that if you are a follower of Christ, He adopts you into His family. You become named after Christ. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and begins to change you from the inside out. We don't give a rip what you wear, as long as you wear something, to church. Something I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't want to see. But we don't emphasize the outside because neither did God. God emphasizes what's on the inside. God emphasizes the heart. The Holy Spirit takes up residence and changes you from the inside out. Every time God is talking about someone He is pleased with, it always describes the heart, not the the physical, not the outside appearance. It always has to do with the heart. So, So if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. God's Spirit And and Paul talks about we have the mind of Christ because of that Holy Spirit living within us. The problem is, we don't tune into that mind. We spend 167 hours a week being bombarded by junk on the radio, in our CD players, on TV, in movies. And then we wonder why we can't hear God's voice? That's pretty stupid. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying, if you want to hear God's voice, you've got to make time for that inner voice to speak to you. We talked about this some last week and the week before. You've got to listen to what the counselor says. Second thing, Jesus' power is at work for you. Romans 8, 31 and 35. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, is the answer. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us. Many of you don't know that that, uh, before we were in this building, we've been in this building 20 months now. Can you all believe that? The stairs from hell at the old building seemed like a distant memory. Yeah, some of you, we were there for four years and we looked at every piece of land, every building and, and we prayed. It, we were only in that building a few months before we all started praying, oh God, get us out of here. You know, we were grateful to have a place. Please understand that. We were grateful to have any place. We started off in a pizza parlor and then we went to a computer shop and then we went to the back building of the old First Baptist building. Not not like anything that, that normal churches do. We are so abnormal. And for four years we climbed those steps. The the oldest kids were on the first floor, the younger kids were on the second floor, and the adults were on the top floor. We climbed those steps. We'd carry chairs up and down, tables and everything. Man, it just got old. And and we would pray, and I looked at all kinds of stuff and and, and I dead level honest towards the end, I started praying to God, God, I know you have all power. I know you can provide. But I want to know, will you? I got to this attitude in my life. I'm like, God, I started questioning God's goodness towards me and towards new life. You've got the power, God. Are you going to do this or not? Man of great faith that I am. And see, we had heard about this building being available two years before we ever started looking into it. But the price was just way out of our, our league because at that time we had maybe 70 people, maybe 70 people and counting dogs and cats. and um, So a couple years went by and, and we heard that this was still on the market. So we came out here. Anyway, long story short, when we got to the negotiation phase, uh, we got this building for less than half of the original price and then we came in and we went oh it stunk the the tiles there were like 12 different leaks in the roof and so the tiles were moldy and all of the the insulation just it's nasty and the carpet on the walls you know because people run into the walls so there was plywood and it was just when we finally I, I need to dig up this picture and show you because you would not believe it the, the front glass door up there is where you used to come in. It was piled so high with with the ceiling tile, the drop ceiling tile and insulation that you could not see from the front door back here. There used to be a back door right here. You couldn't see it. And we used to walk in and our hearts would just sink. And we go, there's no way we can do this. Well, we started working and uh, I heard about an organization called the Volunteer Christian Builders. And you make application to these folks. These are retired uh, Christians and they will come and work. And so I was told, everybody told me it takes six months at best case scenario, 12 months, worst case. And I'm like, dude, we need to be in in four months. So we started praying and somebody said, just go ahead and make the application. So I wrote out the application, I sent it in. From the time I mailed that until the time that 12 RVs were sitting out here on our parking lot was six weeks. God was working for us, we didn't even know it. And they came in here and hung 400 sheets of sheetrock, did all the tape in bed, um, hung most of the doors, built this stage, built the stage up in our children's area, put some of the tin on the outside, did some repairs there in two weeks, actually 10 working days. Those dudes were amazing. God was working for us. We didn't even know it. And so... Everybody said we were crazy. We bought the building in October. We didn't even start working on the building until January, and we were in here May 4th. Everyone said it can't be done, including me. And God did some things we didn't even know He could do. And we were in here on May 4th, fixing the plumbing right up until the time church started. Fixing the plumbing that the pastor did wrong because we, <laughs> we thought we were not going to have toilets that first Sunday. We thought we were going to have to walk over to the house and, oh, wow. God was working for us and we didn't even know it. But here's the thing. What, what, when, what, what is God doing when bad stuff happens? Many of you know about Brody Chapin. Brody went into, uh, for brain surgery, back November 7th is when he went into Medical City in Dallas. I was talking to Christina a week or so ago, asking her, you know, the whole timeline. About three weeks before that, he started having these severe headaches, going all over the place, finally goes to Dallas. They do surgery. They say, we don't think it's cancerous. We think it's benign. They come find out it's an infection. They didn't even know what it was. He has these headaches. They have to put in a shunt in the back of his neck to drain it. They get all this fluid off of his brain. They say, we're going to pull that out. Crazy, crazy stuff happened. And so they think he's going to come home. And... uh Christina called me, and she goes, the MRI was bad. And, and I said, I don't even know what to say. And we prayed and asked God, and, and Brody had said, I prayed last night, and I thought I was going to get to go home. So he, he didn't get to come home for Thanksgiving. Um, last weekend, he was still there. And I, I don't know why all that happened, but I can tell you, he's home now. He got to come home. No visitors. He has to get reacclimated because of the infection. They're still worried about that. He now has a permanent shunt to drain stuff off of his brain, to, to drain the fluid. Um, he is funny, unbelievable nine-year-old little boy. But that family has gone through unbelievable stuff. God has the power. I don't know. I can't answer that. But here's what I prayed for them. And I told them this. I told Brian, I said, Dude, I'm going to pray for you. That God will take all of this and he'll make you look more like Jesus Christ. We talked about this several weeks ago. God can take the good and the bad and make you look like Christ. That's something I can pray for people. That's something concrete. God's got the power. God is working for you even when you don't know it. Even when your nine-year-old son has brain surgery, God is for you. The last thing, Jesus' power is at work through you. When God shows you He wants you to do something, you face a decision. And listen, here's the deal. God and the world will know what you believe about God by how you respond to God's invitation to you. You've heard of David and Goliath, right? Is there any doubt what David believed about God? Some of you know the story. If you don't, I'll tell you where it is after church. Bottom line is, the whole nation of Israel is hiding up in the mountains. Goliath, nine foot, nine inches tall, come out and he would taunt them and say, come fight me. They would run and hide. The whole Israelite nation would run and hide. David's a small boy. He's not even old enough to be in the army. His dad sends him to check on stuff. And he goes, who is this Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? And they're like, shut up. His brother's like, shut up. Shut up. Go back home. Shut up. He's like, no. So he keeps going down until finally the king hears about it. Now, Saul was the king, and Saul was a foot taller, a head taller than everybody else. Saul should have gone out to fight him, but he didn't have faith in God. And so David says, I will fight him. And you know the story. He goes out, and one little uh, rock, he kills the giant, saws off his head. And look look what he says right before that. David says, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people. God never helps you for your benefit. God helps you so that you can help someone else. God comforts you so that you can comfort someone else. God helps you in your time of need so you can tell others about God's power to help them in their time of need. See, there used to be this thing on uh, Channel 7. It's called the power of prayer. And I hated that title. Because I know people that pray to wooden images, wooden idols. How much power does that prayer have? Zero. I know people that pray to the earth. Oh, earth. I know people that pray to other people. How much power is in that prayer? The prayer is only as powerful as the one who hears it. So prayer does not work. God works. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So when God says He wants to accomplish some stuff in our church, God is the one that wants to do it through ordinary people so that other people go, there is a God in Palestine. And I don't know much about Him, but He hangs out at New Life Community Church. That's what I want our church to be known for, is that there is a God in Palestine. The people there worship Him, and He shows up on a regular basis. And people all the time, they say, man, I want God to to do something through me. I want Him to give me a big assignment. You know why God doesn't give you a big assignment? Here's a spiritual nugget of truth that you can take with you today. God watches to see if you obey in the little things. If you do not obey in the little things, God does not give you big stuff because He cannot trust you. You obey in the little things, God begins to form your character to look like Jesus Christ. And then if you want God's power He's going to give that to the person who most resembles Christ because that person is going to deflect the glory back to him. Read the New Testament. Paul, other than Jesus, was the greatest preacher of the New Testament time and he said, I boast about my weaknesses because God's power is made strong when I'm weak. So I'll tell everybody, I'm weak, but God's strong. God is looking for people who will radically obey him The mighty God wants to use you. And the way you respond will tell me and God and everyone else whether you believe He's mighty or not.